This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is the company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data. It's a platform designed to deliver easy-to-read interactive data applications and dashboards. Juicebox turns your valuable analyses into a story for everyday decision makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. This week on the show, I have Chris Palmer, the Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Plotly, uh, to talk about the product that they have and the services they provide. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Um, so, so I'm really interested in the sort of work that you guys are doing, but before we dive into Plotly and what it allows people to do with, uh, with their data and with their data visualizations, um, why don't I ask first if you could just uh, talk a little bit about yourself and why you helped start Plotly and where you guys are today. Sure. So we started working on Plotly um, about three years ago. And I come from the electrical engineering and math background. And a lot of the people on the Plotly team, especially the core team, come more from like the science and engineering community rather than I'd say like the software design community. And we really started Plotly to kind of replace and upgrade a lot of the tools that we were using in those fields. So as part of research and as part of industry, we're using tools like MATLAB, um, MATPLOTLIB and the Python community, um, Origin Pro, which is this, this old and very powerful scientific charting platform, Excel. And a lot of these tools are, are desktop based. Um, and, it, and it wasn't until a few years ago with, with the pace of the web and the performance of web browsers that it was really possible to replace a lot of these data visualization tools with something that could be done entirely in the web browser. Mm-hmm. And once you start putting these tools in the web browser, you can do all these cool things. Like you can share interactive charts with each other, which you couldn't really do in a desktop environment because each person that was sharing or receiving the charts would also have to have the same software as you. And, you know, sometimes software doesn't even work across Mac or across Windows, but, you know, with the browser, it's everywhere and it's on mobile as well. Mm -hmm. So we really started Plotly to try to be kind of like the new standard for technical high performance data visualization on the web. Right. But once we started doing that, we found all these other communities that were doing data visualization um, and, and, you know, could really benefit from, from this community and this ecosystem like journalism. Um, policy, finance, tools, all these communities that are still using things like Excel for data visualization. Um, it could be using something that's a little bit nice, a little bit more interactive. Right. So can you talk a little bit maybe about a couple of case studies is a, is a strong word, but a couple of examples of, of people in these different fields using Plotly and how they've used it. Are they piping their data directly into the browser and then a news organization they're posting around their website? If it's a research organization, how, mm-hmm. how they're sharing it. So maybe there's like Two extreme examples you can you can sort of share with folks. Yeah, totally. On the super technical side, one example is is this research institute in Finland. It's the largest research institute called VTT Finland. Super technical folks, um, and they're using it across their organization. And they're mostly Python, MATLAB, and R users. Mm-hmm. And they're using our platform in a way where they do their data analysis and their data acquisition using a programming language. And like Python or R, MATLAB, 
And then they send that data up to a Plotly server that runs internally at their company. And those graphs and that data is now published on an internal cloud, and they can now share that across their organization. Mm -hmm. They're creating you know, super sophisticated visualizations. Some of these visualizations are updating in real time. They're coming off of instrumentation and, and you know, things like contour plots, 3D plots, mm -hmm. um, really, really advanced. I should have done this to start, but let me step back and ask you to maybe describe the different platforms or different packages people can use for Plotly. The sort of open version and then there are server versions, as you just mentioned, for this particular place. So yeah, can you right. sort of describe those, the different levels, I guess. Yeah, so the core of Plotly is a JavaScript graphing library, and that's called Plotly.js. Um, and it's built on top of WebGL and D3.js. Mm -hmm. And it's open source, and we open sourced it this, this fall. So if you're a JavaScript programmer, you can just use that library. And we have written other libraries in Python, MATLAB, and R that use Plotly.js as sort of their rendering engine. And you can use those languages and those libraries on your own machine, self-hosted, free, all MIT licensed. Then there's plot.ly in your browser. So HTTPS colon slash slash plot.ly. Mm -hmm. And that is a platform for hosting and sharing graphs that are made with the Plotly.js graphing library. So we have an online spreadsheet and interactive tools to edit and create these graphs and a whole host of sharing permissions, sort of like Google Docs. Right. That's an online platform. It's like GitHub. It's free for public use. For private use, there's uh, we have a subscription that you can that you can get on. But then, for many companies and organizations, data just can't leave the firewall. Yeah, um, they can't use cloud products. So we bundled up the the hosted platform in a way that enterprises can can run, install, and license on their own infrastructure behind. Right. The so these are so these are the groups who they have proprietary data, they have administrative data. But they still want to be able to create and share interactive visualizations so they can, they can use it just in-house, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so what have you seen with customers that are using Plotly out in the open? And how do those sorts of organizations differ from ones that might just say, well, I'm just going to create something in D3. I can, you know, just right. a, a web programmer just do it ourselves. So where, where do you see that line between those, those types of groups? Well, I, I think where we come in is that a lot of people don't have JavaScript expertise or they don't have a internal team of, of JavaScript developers and designers that can create these visualizations. So one of my favorite examples um, is the physics blog on Wired, where Rhett Allen is, um, is using Plotly, and he's just using our, our public Plotly cloud. And he can very quickly make simple interactive graphs to illustrate physics concepts and just embed those charts. Yeah. Um, inside his blog, just, just as he might embed something like, like a YouTube video. Right. Okay, so uh, so my next question is I want to back out a little bit, and this question sort of applies obviously to Plotly, but also to other types of tools and platforms and, and programming languages more generally. So Plotly and Highcharts and D3 and Tableau and everything. So I, I feel like for a while now people have been using interactivity for sort of the sake of having interactivity. So I build a column chart and I, you know, the user can can click on the different columns and see the number pop up. But that doesn't really give you a lot of additional insight. And so I'm curious now, looking ahead, whether you think that behavior is going to change and that the sort of interactivity for interactivity's sake is going to decline or plateau or just not be as important. It's really going to be about interactivity for storytelling, interactivity for analyzing the data, 
um, as you mentioned, or, or, or interactivity for eliciting more insight as opposed to here's basically a static chart, but I've added interactivity right. on top of it. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And I, and I think that um, you know, where we'll agree is that a really well-designed chart at the end of the day you should be able to read it really quickly without having to sort of explore inside the chart itself to gain the insight. The labels should be well-placed so that you don't have to hover over to see values. It shouldn't take the, the sort of additional cognitive effort that, that interactivity you know, sort of helps you with. But I think where, where interactivity is, is really helpful is sort of like the, the step right before publishing, and that's like an exploration. If you're looking at a scatter plot and it has it has ten points on it, each point represents an experiment or a molecule or a country or something like that, and you have ten points, and then sure you can you can place a label on on each one of those ten points and you can read that without any any interactivity. But if that's more like a hundred points or a thousand points, or or if you're doing a huge experiment in um, molecular sciences and that's a million points then it's really helpful to be able to zoom around into mm-hmm. different regions um, and, and sort of identify patterns in a really quick, interactive way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it, it becomes a lot more useful when you go away from small data but into, into medium-sized data on the order of 5,000 points and larger. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that and also in, in the presentation layer, there are cases where interactivity can be really helpful if you're if you're say plotting a bar chart that has six different series and they're they're all stacked on top of each other at first glance it's really important to see how maybe all of those bar charts what the the cumulative effect of them are as they're all stacked on top of each other but then it's really nice for you to be able to click through the legend and then just see what the effect of one of those 10 traces Mm -hmm. um, represents yeah so I think for our case, you know, especially we kind of came from this, this rigorous scientific exploration background, you know, the interactivity was really important for, for exploration and not as much in presentation, I'd say. Right. Now that the tool's been around for a little while, are you guys thinking really hard about the annotation layer and making sure that the labels are in particular places, you know, close to the data and that sort of thing so that even for someone who may not truly understand how to, you know, sort of really do interactive uh, design, um, they can still make these charts and and their people can still sort of get the the basic story out of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's something I spend a lot of time thinking about in that our charts are, are completely configurable. You can add text and annotations to any part of the chart. You can customize the colors and the the layout of of every aspect of the visualization. But to make a really nice and compelling data visualization that's easy to read, it takes some skill and some practice. And a lot of what we do in in our interface is making sure that sort of the default settings are in such a way that it doesn't allow people to make charts that that don't look great. So I'll go into an example. Um, One of the classic examples is pie charts and visualization. So people want to make pie charts. And pie charts are really terrible visualizations if they're not done correctly because it can be very challenging to compare the different slices of a pie chart if they're not ordered in an ascending or descending um, way. So the pie charts that we created are by default ordered ascending to descending, so you can very easily compare different slices of the pies. Mm -hmm. Another challenge with them is, is labels inside pie charts where if the slices are very thin, then your label shouldn't be inside that slice um, because it just won't fit. But it shouldn't always necessarily be outside of the slice because that can get crammed too. But 
the way that we've done automatic labeling you know, allows for labels to be inside and outside of, of the pie slices, depending on how large the slices are. And, and, you know, there's an example where if you didn't have labels, people might make the case for interactivity in that you know, if you're viewing a lot of different slices, you should, the only way to really view the labels of those slices is to hover over each mm-hmm. of the values. But in our case, we wrote a labeling algorithm that makes labels look great by default, doesn't necessarily require an interactive layer and doesn't require the the user to be an expert in data visualization or right. know who Edward Tufte is. Right. So as a creator of a data visualization tool, how do you decide where to draw the line? So you allow users to create pie charts. Some some people in the data visualization community would, would say, no, don't even let people to make pie charts. But you, at the same token, don't allow people to make 3D exploding donut charts. Right. Um, so as you and your team are developing the tool, how do you decide what to offer and what not to offer? That's a really great question. Yeah, and that's interesting to think of, of where that line of really too bad is. Yeah. But, yeah you know, sure. I mean, an exploding donut, I mean, that's just like, it's terrible for so many reasons. <laughs> right. You know, perceptually, right. it's just awful. Right. So I sort of feel like, um, I feel like the 3D for the sake of 3D, we have right. almost unanimous consent that that's a poor visualization decision. Pie charts, of course, there's a big debate. Right. Um, but even things like, you know, starting from zero on the vertical baseline, you know, that's obviously a very contentious discussion these days. So right. as you're offering different visualizations, and I'm sure there's others, um, you know, that are sort of more for the scientific community than are for others, mm-hmm. you know, where, how are those lines drawn or is it, or is it just an evolution as you create and see what customers want and use and don't use and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think it's more of an evolution and in a lot of our development has been driven by the huge user community that has come to Plotly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in pie charts is, is an example of that. And folks, I think without Plotly, we're going to be making those pie charts in Excel and sure. they were going to be terrible. Sure. Um, and so I think we can kind of do a service to create what is to be the correct way to draw a pie chart in Plotly. Right. So I'd say mostly it's been user-driven. And I think another interesting part of Plotly is the community aspect to it in that we can provide things like pie charts or stacked bar charts, but then also show our users a lot of different ways that people are communicating really similar data sets using slightly different chart types. So exploding a stacked bar chart into subplots with multiple bar charts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we also kind of have this duty in our product development and in our community organizing to really showcase our users different ways that they can visualize the same data set and to really showcase the best charts that are created by the community for everyone else. And, and, you know, what makes the best visualization? Well, I I think that that is in in some ways sort of um, a little bit subjective. Right, right. No, absolutely, absolutely. I want to shift gears for a moment and talk about Plotly going open source, which Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier. Um, like Plotly opened everything up uh, late last year. And so I just want to ask you, what was, what was the motivation behind that? And, and how do you view uh, Plotly business model going forward now, mm-hmm. that, now that the whole tool is sort of open for people? Yeah. So, you know, we've always been huge proponents and huge fans of open source. And you know, Plotly itself is built, is built off of mostly open source technologies. Mm-hmm. And there's this huge trend especially in, in the scientific um, and technical computing world to work exclusively off of open source technologies. That's been like sort of the, the general shift from, from MATLAB to Python and SciPy, the shift from S and SAS to R. It's totally the right direction. 
mm-hmm. um, especially when in, in sort of science and technical community, communities where decisions are being made off of the results from these libraries. And you should really be able to look under the hood and feel very confident about the way that your data is being presented or the algorithms that are being used. Right. But for us, you know, we're a, a privately invested company and our core technology was our JavaScript graphing library. And when we started Plotly, there, there were a lot of other folks that were offering very similar libraries and in, in licensing them. Um, you know, one of them is like, is like high charts. Uh-huh. And so, you know, it wasn't really obvious in the, in the beginning of whether this is software that we licensed and try to build a business off of, or whether we go with a trend towards open source and can build a, a, a platform around that technology um, and hosting that provides additional benefits that we can charge and continue and, and sustain as a company and, and continue to develop right. um, our underlying technology. So it was really a matter of, of the library becoming stable enough and well-tested enough over this last couple of years for us to feel comfortable bringing in a larger community mm-hmm. and really seeing the value in a platform around this library um, and seeing the, the types of value that we can bring enterprises in a hosted solution that works on-premise and, and feeling very confident about these types of solutions being enough to build a really great company out of rather than just that that library. I'm guessing the answer to this is yes, but do you think that that's going to be the trend going forward that more uh, places, be them data visualization platform providers or mm-hmm. uh, you know statistical package providers, what have you, people are going to demand that these firms uh, mm-hmm. open source. And that's sort of going to be a driving part of the actual business is that actually to have parts of it or the whole thing sort of open source. I really hope so. I think that in the private sector, there's a few different types of companies that are open sourcing technology. There's, there's companies like us that are, are building technology and we're trying to open source and build a platform around that specific technology. So we build Plotly.js and we're trying to build a platform around that technology. And that's really, that's sort of our core technology and that's our core asset. And I don't think there are many companies that are doing that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's our studio, there's Mapbox, and, and beyond that, there aren't that many. Then there are a lot of other companies that are open sourcing their core technology, um, but their you know their core technology has never been uh, the main value proposition of their company. So I'm, I'm thinking things like Facebook, sure. where Facebook open sources a lot of their core technology that they're using, like React, and that that has had incredible benefits. And I can see that happening a lot more, where companies mm-hmm. are are open sourcing the internal tools that they're using because that really benefits everybody else. And, and they're not necessarily trying to build a company off of that core right, right. technology. And then there's a third group which, um, which builds open source technology and then tries to create a business around the services, around that technology. So that's, that's maybe things companies like Doc or historically companies like Red Hat. Mm-hmm. Um, building a, a service organization around the open source technologies that they develop. But we don't necessarily want to be a services company like Red Hat. We really want to be a, a technology and a platform company. And so I, I think you know the answer to your question is going to be sort of like time will tell. Like we're yeah. going to have to see if companies like ours and, and our friends at, at Mapbox and our studio are able to prove and be really creative about business models that can also develop rich open source ecosystems that everybody can benefit off of. Sure. Um, I think there's a way forward, but uh, 
and, and I'm excited the direction that we're going in. It's looking really promising, but it's it's really new territory in the business world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm interested to see what will happen, and um, congrats on the success you guys have had so far. And um, thanks for coming on the show. This has been really interesting. Yeah, thanks so much, Sean. This is a pleasure. And thanks so much for everybody for listening. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed today's episode. If you have comments, please hit me up on Twitter or on the website, and please rate the show on iTunes so others can find out about it. And until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. For 10 years, Juice has been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News and World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data at juiceanalytics.com. And be sure to check out their book, Data Fluency, now available on Amazon.